Hey everybody, thank you for listening. This is Here to Learn and I'm Matt Edwards and I'm having such a great time sharing these conversations that I've been so fortunate to have with many of my friends and colleagues in education over 18 years doing this thing and I'm just so thrilled that you're supporting and and I hope that it's beneficial uh, for you as a a parent or a student or or a teacher or administrator or anybody in any walk of life that has to do with teaching and learning. Um, I'm super excited about this episode that I'm sharing with you now. Um, This is a guy that I worked with um, that I got to see come as a brand new teacher to our school and then in his just few short years at our school rise up through the ranks and work his way into administration. And um, I want to talk to him a little bit, not just about his journey into uh, administration from being a teacher, but also, you know, what's what are some of his passions and, and core values about being a teacher leader? Make no mistake, this guy is uh, a star in education in, in our school system. I think he's destined for uh, really high places, but I think that the thing that you'll find in common between the three different schools that he's worked in is how much his colleagues enjoyed working with him and how much they understood that he was um, passionate about working together, working toward a common goal, and how obvious his belief in their success was. So um, it's unique to work with somebody and and be around somebody who is that well-regarded and, and to be the boss as well. So um, I'm excited to share this conversation with Chris Cox, and I hope you really enjoy it. Okay, Chris Cox, thank you very much for sitting in with me today. I appreciate it. Um, I've been thinking a lot about getting you on. I don't know one of the when I was first making uh, some uh, lists about guests that I'd like to have on this thing when I was putting it together, your name popped up right away just because you're somebody I've always admired and, and thought highly of, not just because of your time in the classroom when you when we worked together, but also when you became, an instructional coach with professional learning teams and then moving your way up into administration in our in our school system. And I just want to kind of talk to you a little bit about, you know, your journey, you know, through Wake County Public Schools, but as well as just kind of where you're at now. Um, you know, you're at your principal at Stout Elementary, which has a Chinese program. It What's does. that all about? It does, man. Uh, well, first of all, that doesn't make any sense why I would be this high on your list, uh, Matt Edwards, but I appreciate the, uh, the kind words. Um, it is true. I, um, is this a good time to just kind of walk through my journey in Wake County Absolutely, Public Schools? Absolutely. Please, so please, yes. It's, uh, it's crazy to go from a kindergartner at York Elementary down the road um, to all of my 13 years in public education as a student with Wake County Public Schools and then to leave my public university to end up at as a 22 year old Spanish teacher at Millbrook High School where we met Um, and so that was quite the journey in and of itself Um, why get there how to get there is such a a long story but the main gist of it was that my uh, college experience at UNC was leading me in a road that I thought I was meant to go into which was going to be media and journalism And when a lot of that started to lose its luster and it started to feel like um, there was not a very impactful outcome 
for the things that I thought my abilities and skills and passions were aligned with. Um, it became apparent that I could go into the classroom and work with students. And um, I made my Spanish minor into a major. And I started teaching high school Spanish and helping out with the basketball team and coaching. And that was a great spot where you really felt like you could invest in students. I never thought I'd invest in teenagers. It was kind of ironic that I was only a few years older than some of my students, yeah. as I'm sure you experienced <laughs> as well. Um, I did get asked for my lunch pass by our Renacop type security in my first month on the job at Millbrook. That was embarrassing. Um, and so you grow some facial hair and you talk differently <laughs> and you keep your badge visible at all times. All times. And um, ultimately, I think that I learned a lot from our administration and other colleagues at the time that I didn't already know. And I learned a lot about myself. And I, I really found that I enjoyed so much more of the student interaction more than I enjoyed the content which led me down this path of possibly going into leadership. And I owe a lot of credit to several of our administrators there that encouraged that, that led me to a program where I could get into an internship mm -hmm. and to do my internship with Mrs. Dana King, who's still the principal at Millbrook, and to learn under her tutelage for two years um, was probably one of the most challenging but yet rewarding times um, as you know, hard work really led to that. Um, knowledge and and really so much of that time and I think this is one of the themes that you wanted to talk about was how do you navigate your role as a um, teacher transforming into an instructional leader with your same colleagues and then also by the way you're you have a family outside of school mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. have priorities outside of school you're taking graduate level classes um, that was some of the more, those were some of the more challenging years, I would say, as I reflect professionally, to be a new father in and of itself is a mess. And so now I have a middle schooler. You're about to have a middle schooler, Oh my Matt. gosh, I know. And um, I'm just at a different stage in my family life where I can give so much more of my, um, my time now and balance my time as best I can as a principal. So going back in, in those late 2000s, 2007, 2008, and then... Um, when I got hired as an assistant principal for the first time in 2009, those were some very key years that I had to listen to um, my superiors, so to speak, those that were training me to go into this field, to, to leave um, just the classroom and really thinking larger picture about a whole school. And really, when you get to the principal level, you're not just thinking about the building and those that work in there primarily, but the whole community that connects to and has a web of connections to that building. Um, and so those years were so important, and they were hard to navigate because I was asked to, uh, to some degree, guide and shape uh, professional learning teams and communities at a time when those were relatively new to our area. Yeah. And it wasn't innate in most of our teaching colleagues, I would say, to work together to build curriculum or to use data to build curriculum for an entire department or an entire grade level or an entire subject area. It was much easier, and this was true for me too, as fairly independent or wanting to be independent, I would much rather do my own thing and teach my own kids than to really make it a collaborative effort. And so I learned so much about trying to work with people without telling them what to do, but trying to make sure that they had some level of buy-in for what a PLC is and does. 
Um, and that really had to shape me a lot because it would have been easier if the principal just told everybody, well, this is what you're going to do, this is when, what right. you're going to meet, That's and right. this is what you're going to make it look like, and here's the products that you're responsible for. Um, but the goal would have been, let's see, let's see the foundations of why, why we do what we do, and um, I'm sure you guys have seen the, the famous video of Simon Sinek with Start With Why, and he even wrote a mm-hmm. book about it. Um, and that was such a huge and compelling why. What is the compelling why for why we collaborate on this? Um, and so really that shaped my leadership in a lot of ways because I'm trying to ensure that I'm not giving directives as much as I'm offering ideas with teams and then trying to build the buy-in along the vision of those teams. Um, and so that's just a people skill that I think you learn with time, but that you also then have to align with the work that you're doing. And the work that we were doing that time, at that time at Millbrook was trying to build PLCs that were effective and ensuring that students were growing. Um, and so, I don't know, do you want me to continue on this journey? No, no, this no. is a long monologue. Oh, no, that's it. good. I, I, I think it's important to share with people what is apparent to me, or, or, or almost obvious to me, is how important it was that the powers that be, whether it's you know administrators or or whoever in your life recognized not only your ability to work well with others, but also like put you in charge of something that you believe in and that you are passionate about. Because I think a lot of times we can be in charge of things when we're just trying to get a foot in the door, trying to, you know, get an opportunity to do something and we might not believe in it or be passionate about it. We just, we got to get through it. We just got to do it. And I think that, you know, a lot of kudos go to, you know, the people that were around you that recognized that this was specifically something that you could be successful in because they knew that you believed in working well with others. Because not everybody in our profession believes of in that. Not. So, you know, I think that that's an important thing. So as I, I hear you tell, you know, tell kind of your, your journey early on, that's one of the things that I just um, recognize so much just listening to you because you were able to experience success because you were the right person for that job. And, you know, I think that's a neat thing. And, but I'm also sure that comes with pressure now of that course. you're the person in charge of finding that person for your school. And I hope Dana believed that I was the right person. I hope she still does, uh, you know, however many years later now that I've been, gosh, I've been in the district uh, 15 and a half years. So what am, this is that, we're halfway to retirement, man. Oh, How did oh, we do that? Man, it's, it's <laughs> awesome. It's a great thing. Um, but I hope that that was, um, I don't know that she knew how that journey would go for me. But now, again, I'm in a different spot now. That job, that working with people and trying to support people and mold people, it didn't always go well. There were definitely challenges. And mm-hmm. um, and anytime you work with adults, it's going to get messy. Let's be honest. I mean, we're in a profession now where people say, man, I don't know if I could work with kids. Well, let me tell you, the stress is not in working with the kids as much as, as, much as it is in working with adults. And trying to get adults to work together for the um, for a common goal, a common vision and, and, and where we're headed. So... Um, that job at Millbrook and that work with the, you know, again, my first attempt at trying to lead adults, even though I really wasn't being, even though I wasn't their principal or supervisor, that was hard. And any teacher leader, I hope that that resonates with them because to be technically on paper on the, on the same plane, but yet having to lead those people is not easy. Mm-mm. There, there is a status. There's some sort of labeling that we do in our minds about who someone is just based on their role or their title, um, and so it is. It is in some ways 
easier to be the quote unquote principal because some people are going to um, they are going to conform just because they think that that right. title exists. They just are rule followers. But imagine they... imagine trying to lead people that are on the same plane as you. I was just a teacher on a teacher's salary that was doing my administrative internship trying to build in collaborative practices that would lead to better outcomes for kids. And it just took a lot of training and patience and relationship building is probably the hugest piece of that. You know, we tell our kids, we, we talk about this as teachers all the time, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care well that should echo with us as adults too yeah, right yeah our staff together here now that we've worked together at style for three and a half years i should hope that the bonds that we have on our leadership team and in our admin and our office staff those are much stronger because we've been through challenges together and it's clear that we care about each other not because we just happen to have a certain title and have our offices next to each other um, it has to do with the journey that we're on and the work that we've done um, and that we care about each other as people um, and so i had to learn that as well and then going from millbrook for the first time i ventured into my assistant principal job at martin middle school i learned from multiple solid and really ex outstanding leaders. I think I gained a little piece of each of them mm -hmm. from, from Dana King at Millbrook and then to some of the principals that I got to work with at Martin. Um, and I think my personality and leadership was shaped a bit. I think certain people as leaders bring out your leadership personality or your work personality differently. Right. Right. Um, and I think finally, um, towards the end of my time at Martin, I think I knew better who I was and who I could be as a principal. So to get the call to come to Stow as the one and only Chinese immersion school in our district was quite a unique and unexpected call. Um, again, I was a Spanish teacher. I spoke Spanish regularly in all of my jobs from teacher to PLT coordinator, intern, assistant principal. Um, so to go to the Chinese immersion school without being able to speak any Chinese was kind of an, kind of an unexpected turn. Um, but what was sold to me was this was a school that was in a good place, that had a fairly new magnet program, that we wanted to build the faith in the magnet program and in Mandarin Immersion within mm -hmm. the community and the school as a whole. Um, and so that was one of my goals coming in. Uh, little did I know that an immersion school is technically a school within a school. And that's a bit of a barrier because ultimately people believe... Um, that there's two different visions or that there's two different goals or there's two different communities, which is completely detrimental to what I believe yeah. an elementary school that serves its community should be. I believe that the school should be all of one, that we should be unified under the same vision. Yes, 200 or so of my students learn primarily in Chinese and a little over 200 of my students learn primarily in English, but that doesn't mean that we still can't have programming, mission, vision, and values that align and that we don't have ways that those students can all interact. Uh, it is an amazing program that we have students learning primarily in Chinese. These students are bilingual by the time they're 8, 9, 10 years old. That's amazing. Amazing. Those are the two most spoken languages in the world. That's amazing. Um, However, the building of the community and the unity around that program and the unity among the cultures of the people that work for me has been um, very challenging to make sure that people that work together that have language barriers, uh, that are communicating with parents differently or communicating with community at large differently, um, that's been 
hard. And now it's kind of interesting to reflect about this in the first like 10 minutes that we've been talking, maybe it's been more, I'm not sure. I, I've now looked at this journey and we've talked so much about building the capacity of people to collaborate. Like the Lord was preparing me for that, you know, in, yeah. in the late 2000s at Millbrook with the challenges that I faced and the things that I was expected to do. And now the journey takes me 10, 12 years later, and I'm looking at similar things with adults collaborating with parent community, you know, magnet office, central office, the people that work specifically here at this building, all having to collaborate for a common goal. Um, and so it's just ironic now just to bring that up. Just yeah. that that's kind of a divine journey right there that I just have to... Uh, I have to step back and and give credit where it's due. So sorry, I've gone on oh, no, a crazy no, long no, no, story the, here. You know, I, I want to share you with a lot of you know whoever's listening here, so that they can uh, understand just how how special some of the folks that you know walk through our halls and conversations can lead to. Um, let's go to Martin Middle for a second. So when you went to Martin Middle, were you? immediately the principal in charge of instruction over there? No, not at all. I was the sixth grade assistant principal um, and then really just a grade level assistant principal for my seven years there. Um, I did uh, sixth grade, I did seventh, and then um, my last few years I was the eighth grade assistant principal. Um, an assistant principal in a secondary school, middle or high school, may be one of the most tiring jobs um, that you could have, I mm. think, in the district. I mean, I think that the level, the number of things that come across, the number of people that demand your time on any given time, the number of departments and committees and sports and things that you're responsible for, it feels endless. Um, I felt like I was putting in uh, more hours than the day had available. Mm. And I felt that, honestly, in my interning time at Millbrook, too, just the assistant principal role. Um, it resonated with me for a while, but honestly, so much of the assistant principal role sometimes felt reactive, mm -hmm. that you were dealing with things and problems and issues and, and students sometimes that just came to you, um, and you were having to react and then try to clean up something yeah. or adjust something that had already really had most of its impact already happened. Um, I felt like in the transition, I know I'm getting ahead of you a little bit, but the transition from assistant principal to principal was really rewarding in a sense that I could do a lot more things that felt proactive. I could do a lot more things that I felt set vision and cast vision and values as opposed to really trying to just the day to day. Um, there's a call here. Can you take this? Yes. There's a situation over here in this hallway. Can you take this? Um, so that was really quite the challenge was being responsible for a grade level of 350 kids. Mm -hmm. And for me, that meant their families, uh, those teachers, um, that lunch duty every day. Have you ever had 350 11-year-olds in a cafeteria at the same time? No, I've it's, avoided that. It's, <laughs> it's not the best experience, oh but it is something that happens at every middle school in our district mm -hmm. that those, generally speaking, I would say that sixth grade lunches together, seventh grade lunch, eighth grade lunch, at least that's how it was in my experience, and I'm guessing many of our middle schools yeah. are the same. Um, but to maintain some semblance of order and structure when you have a bunch of teenagers in the same room at the same time doing something as simple as eating lunch, um, you'd think it would be easy, but it is not. And um, just working with the number of personalities that you work with in that tedious age of the early teen years um, was quite interesting. I thoroughly enjoyed, let me say, after saying all that, I thoroughly enjoyed getting to know so many kids and families, and that's what it was about, getting to know kids and families and supporting them in some tedious times of life. Um, I'm getting to that stage as a parent. You're on the precipice yeah. as well. Um, it is not easy, and the things that 
um, the pressures that our kids face in the 21st century now that we have cell phones and we have easy access to information at all seconds of the day. Um, the way we use social media, the way we train our children to use social media is a huge piece of the tail end of my time at Martin that we really had to do a better job of proactively teaching cyber safety, yes. uh, the appropriate ways to use a cell phone or to a tablet and whatnot. Um, those are things that um, are definitely prevalent and have to be prevalent even now. Mm -hmm. In elementary school, our um, counseling, our student services team does a great job, I think, of um, as early as fourth and fifth grade starting to talk about some of these things that, they, that students can be capable of with devices. Um, and so that, that is a theme of the last few years of just trying to navigate how to support kids. And I say kids even though by the time they're in eighth grade, they felt like actually mellowed out young adults. Right. Um, I really enjoyed them as eighth graders much more than I enjoyed some of the more unpredictable seventh grade, late yeah. sixth grade times. Um, as eighth graders, you really start to see them being shaped into people that mm -hmm. are going to be successful and have the potential to do amazing mm -hmm. things. Um, I don't know that you see that when you have an 11 or 12 year old throwing something across the cafeteria or uh, pushing and shoving at the lockers and whatnot. So um, not to say those things don't happen at multiple grade levels, but I think it is important just to note just the change over time that you can see yeah. um, in a kid. So at Martin, I did, you know, I feel like an assistant principal really does anything and everything mm -hmm. with a little bit more focus on let's, we have to react a lot more to the things that are already happening. Um, and I think I just enjoyed much more going from that stage to uh, the principal stage at Style when I got here in 2016, where at first, you step back, you see where the school is at, what's working, what's not. Um, you get the perspectives of all your staff, of all your folks that volunteer or that are in the PTA. Um, and then over time, you really begin to shape what you believe is best for that school mm -hmm. based on what you've already learned and what you actually, actually believe in your heart is what's good for them. Um, and I think the combination of reactive to things that happen no day is the same. You know this in public education. No hour is the same. Sometimes your schedule might look a certain way when you get there in the morning, and by the end of the day, it will not have happened at all yeah. in the way that you right. thought it would. Um, and that's fine. But there's also a good balance of being with kids, being with families, and working with adults in addition to just that um, being proactive to the things that you think are best for the school. Um, you, with your background in foreign language and, and uh and being a, being able to speak Spanish and teaching teaching not a core class, um, how did that color your working with teachers as an administrator? Did you find that you had to, you know, prove your chops as a teacher, or did you find that that kind of endeared you to people because they respected another language? Mm. What was that like? Yeah, that would definitely vary by circumstance, I guess. But I think there is a. Um, there can be a divide at any given school about what we believe about core instruction versus specials or electives mm -hmm. or whatever you'd like to call them. Um, and I think that there are parameters placed on us by the state, by our district, that have different levels of focus on different courses. Obviously, the state has certain courses that are going to be state tests that are very summative in nature. I think that there's a, a clear nonverbal communication when we're giving bonuses to certain people and not others, or certain grade levels and not others. And so there is going to be a divide. There are going to be 
water cooler conversations, quote unquote, that happen with regard to who teaches foreign language. And, um, you know, let's just take my example, foreign language in the state of North Carolina, high school students still are firmly encouraged to take at least two years of a foreign language to access a state institution as a, as for a university experience. Of course, in my experience growing up, my parents said, no, you're going to take every single year foreign language and you're going to become bilingual and et cetera, et cetera. But I get it. Not every family is preaching the same thing. And, um, and ultimately what the state is preaching is you, if you want to go to a four-year institution, you need to have two years of the same language. Is that still the case? Yeah, it's, it's still a thing. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's becoming more and more interesting what that language should be. Sure. Um, you know, and with you know, your Chinese immersion program and, you know, with the ever-changing population of America, it's like, where would you put a lot of those eggs in, in yeah. you know, in, in reality, if you step out and you think about it from a world perspective, actually, everybody's putting a lot of in investment in learning how to speak English. Yeah. So, like, you know, it's like, what's the role, what's the responsibility of Americans to be able to be bilingual or be able to communicate outside of yeah. That English English language. So I just and we're I'm, yeah. Go ahead. I'm I'm just I just I, I think about that. But I I I am totally intrigued with the perception of an instructional leader by you know people like me who are in these core subjects that we have our way of thinking about ourselves. Like like sure. you already referenced. Sure. And and how how conscious was that for you? And what did you do maybe to prepare to deal with um, any sort of core uh, learning team or core yeah. instructor that you were working with and, and how were you able to help them knowing that you weren't a math teacher or an English teacher and yeah. you know your final exam wasn't necessarily the one that showed up on a report card. Sure. Yeah, as, as you were talking, Matt, I thought to myself, with each transition in my career, I was entering into something where I wasn't the expert mm -hmm. and I think it's important that that's um, that's not a secret, right? Like I'm, yeah. I'm walking into an elementary school in 2016, having never taught elementary school, never studied closely elementary curriculum, and now I'm walking into a situation where um, I am having to evaluate and have important conversations with staff members about their standard four, which says that they should be able to facilitate learning for students, or their standard three, which says that their teaching is aligned with the standard course of study, um, and so, so many of the digital resources, I highly recommend the, the NC Standards app on your phone. I'm in an observation, I go on the NC Standards app, I can just click on the grade level, the subject matter, and I'll know exactly what the standards say and what they are. And then so much of my work with the teachers, and this goes back to our time at Millbrook as well, is it's easier to, it's easier to start a good solid conversation and to build trust with somebody if you're asking from an inquisitive stance as opposed to a declarative stance. And what I mean by that is, if I'm sitting here in a PLT with you and your geometry team, let's say, do you still teach geometry? No, they've called that math too now, but I've moved to something <laughs> else. But it's okay, it's okay. Well, in the time that I was there, it was called geometry. <laughs> geometry. And that's uh, how old we are, I guess. Yes. I don't know. Um, in the time if I'm in the math two team and obviously I'm not able to teach math two as well as you are but I need to be able to have an inquisitive stance when I'm asking you about the things that we're doing whether right. that's in a post conference or whether we're actually in the PLT meeting and you guys are 
talking about graphing, and I'm like, well, okay, I haven't, don't remember y equals mx plus b, right. but, but you can tell me if the students know, and you have the data to show, and I can support data analysis, and you you need me to print the, you might remember the blue diamond reports, my friend. Oh, yeah. Well, I can print those blue diamond reports and analyze those with you. I might not be able to tell you exactly how to reteach y equals mx plus b, but that's, a, that's me coming into that situation, giving you what I have and not mm. telling you what to do. Same thing happens now. I mean, I am having to evaluate teachers that are speaking the 100% of their instruction in Mandarin Chinese. I do not speak Mandarin Chinese. So the post-conference is so key. Like that time of me being inquisitive about, okay, I can use my visual cues and tell that these students are learning about community helpers in kindergarten. They're trying to learn this vocabulary. They're trying to learn the purpose of what they are and what they do. But now I need to know, how does the teacher know that they got it? other than the cues that I have at my mm. disposal. So in the post-conference, it's so key. I just have really inquisitive conversations, and we dive deep into what happened in that lesson and why, and was the staff member, were they encouraged by what they saw, which students didn't get it. It goes back to the same four questions that we started with when Rick DeFore, rest in peace Rick DeFore, started this whole concept of PLCs. What are they learning? How do you know that they learned it? What do we do if they got it? And what do we do if they didn't get it? It's the same four questions we've been saying the whole time. And I, you can have those same four questions in a PLT meeting with a bunch of staff. You can have that one-on-one -on -one with the post-conference. You can have that when you're doing MTSS and you're talking through interventions and you're talking about a specific child and what they're doing. It could be about behavior. It could be about math. It could be about reading. It could be about anything. Um, and so, yeah, I, I freely admit, and I will freely admit it in front of the staff member, I freely admit that I'm not the expert when it comes to math too or Mandarin Chinese, or when I got to Martin, to um, sixth grade science. It was just, those are things that I learned about way back when, and now I'm gonna brush back up on it because I'm gonna see it. I'm gonna be right. in your classroom, I'm gonna be in your meetings, I'm gonna see all of this earth science or physical science, mm -hmm. or I'm gonna see Mandarin Chinese, I might not be able to master it, but um, I'm gonna get a good sense over time that I hope that I'll be able to have a better conversation with you, that I hope that I can offer more suggestions, but if I come in a little bit more humbly, I think that helps our relationship over time and gives that teacher a lot of boost of confidence too. For sure. I mean, I think one of your huge strengths that I've always observed from you is you, you're a very good listener and you never have seemed to shy away from it. Mean like I've got some stuff to learn here. So um, tell me, teach me, tell yeah. me what's going on. And I, and I, I wonder how you impart that wisdom i know a lot of that might be a natural thing for you but like how do you impart that wisdom to administrators that you're now training and guiding how how do you help them in those because I, I gotta think that observations have to be very nerve-wracking especially early on in you know when you're evaluated administrator and you're and you're a new administrator not evaluate administrators sorry teachers um how do you help your assistant principals understand about inquisitive conversations how do you help mm. them understand about the value of being um, willing to say things like i'm not an expert in this this is what i know tell me more instead of just making all these inferences for all this well that kid's not you know he's on his phone so you must not be a good teacher <laughs> or you don't have all of your standards written on this corner of the board so you must not be organized how, yeah. how are you helping those folks yeah, so yeah, we as leaders, um, I think in every school I've been at, 
especially with the new evaluation document, which isn't new any longer, when those five standards came out, and remember it used to be six standards and now it's back to five standards. When those five standards came out, it helped so much to have just collaborative discussions about what each of those standards meant mm -hmm. and what we would then in turn look for. Um, Wade Martin was my principal at Martin Middle School when that document came out and he brought our admin team together and we chatted through what we thought each of those meant. Um, and then over time, we kind of worked through what that looked like at Martin. And I feel like every time you get a new admin team member, whether it's now at Stow or maybe when I was at Martin, and I'm sure Dana King would do the same thing at Millbrook, um, you have to think through what those things mean and that the interpretations are somewhat aligned. Otherwise, my AP and I are going to have completely different conversations with our staff. Oh, 100%. And that doesn't help our staff because then they feel like they're shooting for different targets. And the goal would be that we're shooting for the same targets. Having said that, the conversations within one-on-one -on -one post conferences with a teacher, um, this made me think about it when you said um, something along the lines of, um, what if their standards are on the board in this room and not in this room? Or what if this person's doing this and this person has their phone out and so therefore that person isn't paying attention and so that kid's disengaged. What are you gonna mm -hmm. do about that? I think too, I can't overwhelm the teacher that I'm talking with. If there's a hundred things that I wanna work on in that classroom, I'm gonna try to come up with one theme, right. one package. Because if I start hitting him or her with a ton of things, I really don't know that they can effectively enact all of my suggestions if I am going to make those. But if I could come up with one theme, maybe offer a little bit of reading material, maybe offer um, some ideas that I've seen work, or maybe somebody in the building that I feel like is a good model, I think those are good things that can help. That's definitely not the leading topic, but I do think that there are, are good enough relationships over time and enough of inquis inquisition in the midst of the post-conference that you can get to a point where you can have a conversation about one theme that you really want to see changed. Mm -hmm. And you might not even say it like that. You might not say, hey, here's this one theme I came up with that you need to work on, because that won't go over right, right either. But over time in your conversation, my hope is that organically we see, oh, here's the common theme. We have students, we have a few students that are just not engaged. So what are we gonna do? What are the things that work for Jimmy? What are the things that work for Cecilia? Let's talk about each of those situations and then hopefully over time there's some there's some thoughts or some bullet points in that teacher's head or even on a pad of paper that say okay with this student I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna try this reward system or I'm gonna try um, and if that teacher leaves with a couple ideas then that's been successful and the more I can have those conversations even post with my assistant principal then I know we're aligned um, that we do have that theme of we're gonna help teachers in one area and not just bombard them with I need you to change this 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 um, I don't know if that's the same at every school, but I just found, I think over time, I'm more comfortable. Um, I, I think I'm just more comfortable building camaraderie in my school if I can have those types of level of feedback. Um, and we can't do that well if me and my other leaders are not on the same page. Right, right. I think that's so incredibly important. And what a, you know, when I hear you describing that, it's such an effective PLT way of doing it. It's saying, hey, if if we're going to all grade the same quiz, let's make sure we grade it the same way. You know, if we're all going to observe teachers, let's make sure we're looking for the same core values, the same signs. And we in our heads know if we see certain maybe negatives or, or areas that need improvement, we're all using some of the same interventions. And I think that really the staff, 
I think you know this. They, they're they're amazingly aware of what you guys are, you know, because they talk and they know. Well, you know, Cox told me that I, you know, I just I did everything wonderful, but <laughs> when I got observed by so and so, holy cow! Yeah, it's like I wonder why I even have a job. And yeah, and, you know, you hear those conversations, like you said, water cooler conversations, and and people that that definitely kind of colors how they. Um, they they view their administration. So I, I you know I think there's a lot of good things, and that definitely does not go unnoticed with your staff. I'm sure yeah. because that's, and, that's and the important. more we can presume positive intentions, gosh, that comes up all the time, doesn't it? In like any time you work with people, right? If the more you can presume positive intentions, the better. But I get it. People are messy. No two observations are the same. Mm-hmm. No two teachers are the same. Um, everybody's style's different. That's what makes this beautiful is that you're working with people and people are different. The adults are different. The kids are different. Every day is different. Like you're not going to have that type of um, relationship with your profession in any other realm that I've figured out yet. Um, the public school is such a beautiful mess in a way. Mm-hmm. I say that completely complimentary of the school system. It is a beautiful mess. Um, there are challenges that we want to address. There's um, there's beauty in every child and in every person that you come across. And so, how do we how do we align so many beautiful messes walking in the doors that work here and that go to school here and that bring their families here? How do we align all that? underneath one umbrella that says um, we're your public school you can trust us we can work together um, and, I, and I don't have it figured out but that doesn't mean I'm not going to keep trying you know that we're never going to have this perfect there's no such thing as what I would say as a perfect school or a perfect classroom or a perfect observation it's um, everything's a work in progress it takes work and it takes recognition for and perception of the fact that we can presume positive intentions and we can have a perception that every child can and do well um, and that every family sends us their best. So um, my hope is that that is, if I'm emanating anything in this podcast, I hope that it's that we don't have it figured out, but that um, we believe in the vision and the, the mission that we have before us and we're going to do what we can for our kids. Well, I, I think that that's 100%, you know, what what all of us hope to be the case is that people you know, they want us to grow and they want us to get better. And I think helping people remember that is is a really important thing. All right, let me go. Let's zoom out a little bit. What's, uh, what's the next five years look like for you? What's the next 10 years look like for you? Mm. I can't, Matt, I can't see myself leaving a school building anytime soon. I do not see myself wanting to work just with adults. I have so many great access points with students and their families um, in the school setting. I think that um, being in a school building is the future right now for me. I don't see it any other way. I love the principal position. I love elementary. I love the uniqueness of our school. Um, the challenge of uniting us is still present. Uh, the challenge of changing buildings right now is yeah. present. Oh, gosh. Um, I am in the midst of a, um, I'm in a swing space as we speak, and I'm going back to our brand new facility, which I'm excited about, and I think our families are as well. Um, so I'm in exciting times at Stow. I have no plans to go anywhere. Um, I do uh, just enjoy our people. I think that I have just enough problems to continue to address so that I don't feel complacent in any right, way. Right. Um, I don't see myself. I, th- I think there is this trajectory um, of people ending up in central office at some point. I do not want that for myself. Mm-hmm. I do not think that that is a, 
um, a place I want to be. And just in general, my wife doesn't like Cary, North Carolina. I do not <laughs> want to work there. So I don't yeah. think that we'll be going to Cary or do anything like that. I, uh, I'm really happy at Style. I'm really happy with our our vision and the leadership that we have here um, that kind of surround me and support me and support our cause. And um, so, yeah, the, 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 the five-year to ten-year thing is a little bit daunting right now, and, and uh, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. Yeah. Well, it's a... Uh it's and it's an exciting place to sit as a as a former you know colleague of yours teaching and to see how you've gotten to this place that you are and it's exciting that there are principals like you in our system and that these kids and these teachers get to be exposed to your positive energy and your belief in each of these individual people and I think that's a really special thing let me ask you uh, just a couple more questions about how are we going to replenish our administrative ranks? Mm. How are we going to keep teachers like you who are really good fits for administration? Mm. How do we convince you guys to keep making those transitions into administration when, you know, we're having a hard time, you know, keeping teachers in the profession period right yeah. now. So yeah. any thoughts on that? Yeah, I would say, and this is just a quick, like, aside about hiring. Um, I never received more resumes for a posted position than I did when I posted the assistant principal position at my school. Okay. I had well over 200 resumes for that one spot, um, which was a bit surprising, but also um, kind of enlightening. And... I think that my concern is more about um, replenishing quality candidates that want to teach, that want to be in the classroom and then remain in the classroom because they feel like that is their calling and they feel like they can make an impact right there. I have those people in my building and I'm excited to have them. Mm -hmm. um, I want to keep them for as long as possible. Um, I think that that's the thing that is the hardest is to just know that when you post a position, um, specifically in hard to staff areas, special programs comes to mind. It is hard to find quality, motivated candidates for special programs and special programs positions. Um, I have a great special programs team right now at my school. Um, I've hired a first year teacher out of her university in the summer and she's phenomenal. And she's a finalist for the Diane Kent Parker oh, wow. first year teacher award. Um, and that feels like hard to come by. Um, it's also especially hard to find quality teaching aids and assistance mm -hmm. that um, the monetary compensation just is not there for our aides, for our bus drivers, for our contract cab drivers. Those are the ones that I feel like have some of the hardest and most underappreciated roles in our system. Um, and those are the ones that I'm concerned about. Specific back to teachers. Um, one of the things that I know is an important belief of our system is that our teaching staff reflects the demographics of the students that mm. we have. Mm -hmm. And that's also been a talking point that we've had here on our campus, um, how to find um, a teaching staff that demographically reflects uh, the beautiful uh, depiction of our demographic smorgasbord, our, our melting pot, if you will, at Stow. So that's another topic that I know is going to come up in our upcoming principals meetings. I think that um, I heard that the division of principals and assistant principals had that as a topic today in their monthly meeting. Um, and I know that's something that our people at HR are working through. Some of our 
other institutions throughout the Southeast and really across the nation to try to recruit people of color to be in this profession. Um, and so that's been hard because I think in as a principal, you do try to interview people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all races, and all ages even. Um, in some of the interviews I've done this year, um, we had quite the plethora of different uh, people from different paths that um, we interviewed. Um, and so the goal would be obviously to find the best fit. Mm -hmm. And how do you rectify that with also trying to ensure that your students get to see someone that looks like them as well? So it is a challenge. There's not one solution. It's a group effort, I think, from state leaders, district leaders, and ourselves as leaders in, this, in the buildings um, to try to make sure that, one, we find the right people, and then we sustain them because when a teacher leaves, whether they're pursuing a career outside of education or they want to work at central office or go into um, a different role, um, that hurts our kids because mm -hmm. no matter what, you're going to transition someone new into your building, no matter how many years of experience, no matter what their walk was. Um, every transition takes time to adjust and to build in kind of the vision and the core values of that school. Right. So. Though I'd like to say our core values are completely aligned with the district, there's 192 schools in this district, right. and all of them have different, really, approaches and feels to them. You've been in many different schools. I'm sure they, they all feel different to some yeah. degree. Um, and so to bring somebody in is not easy, to bring somebody in brand new. But um, you've brought up a challenging question that has no clear answer, but... I think it's definitely something that's on our minds and on, and really in our hiring practices, things that we have to think about. Is there anything you'd like to see the state do or give you the power to be able to do? Is there any any sort of like, I know it's not going to be a silver bullet, but like, is there something that if if you had the ability to do this or if the state would just offer this, what, what are maybe some of those things? Yeah. Yeah, I think some of it is an ongoing political debate about how we best make competitive salaries with our mm. state employees. Um, and I know that's ongoing, and I know that that has ramifications through taxes and oh, through sure. everything. Sure. So it's going to be an ongoing political debate. I do not wish to be in that debate. Mm -hmm. I'm really comfortable being the principal and not having to make some of those hard decisions right. um, and just kind of staying in my lane. Um, I do think that um, there has been progress. I don't think it's been enough progress that we could say that we're competing with the rest of the nation. Um, and I think that that debate's going to keep going for a long time, Matt. I don't, I don't know how that's going to end quickly. Um, I think that that's one thing that is going to continue to be a debate in our legislature about how best to compensate teachers. And then even if we do compensate them, how do we make sure that we have the leadership at the district level um, that can then support those teachers and sustain them to want to continue in that career right. and feel that they're supported? Um, and then while we're on the topic of the state, um, I'd be remiss if we just didn't note the fact that there are massive inequities county to county Correct. in our system. Correct. I, I believe there's 114 school systems supported by the state and the inequities from those that have a huge tax base and those that don't is massive. And you know we've learned about that in grad programs and you can read about the Leandro case on the news which has been going on mm -hmm. for years. I think that that's a huge impediment to a lot of our state from having students that are 
um, competitive coming from some of our graduating from some of our more rural districts with lower tax bases or excuse me lower um, income bases mm. I think that's a huge inequity that many of our political leaders just have to think about that we have to think about how do we support these smaller districts um, to still be able to um, graduate competitive 18 year olds that can then um, compete at the same level and get right. to the same institutions. Um, it's just highly inequitable and there's not an easy solution, but it's something that needs to continue to be at the forefront of the conversation. For sure. For sure. I think, uh, you know, we're super fortunate to be in, um, in Wake County where yes. we are with surrounded by education and a lot of industry and, uh, and a lot of people want to come to our area yes. and we benefit a lot from that. I mean, we see it in our schools, we see it in our families, um, that are part of our communities and the support that many of them do. And they, you know, really wrap their arms around our schools, but you're right. I mean, I think it's very easy to, to look on a map of our state and go, well, these kids are probably doing okay around Charlotte or these kids are doing okay around Riley. But what about these kids around Salisbury? What about these kids in Buncombe County? Sure. You know, and I think that that's an important thing to uh, to continue to try to be aware of, be conscious of, and yeah. and, and, and do our best to kind of um, spread the word that, that those teachers are, are, are in the classrooms trying to believe in all those beautiful messes as well. Yeah. And, and how where they are is a big part of our state's personality, and that matters. It does. And uh, Well that, said. That's super important. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time, for your insight, for sharing um, your journey with us. I think it's important for lowly teachers like me to hear the people in charge. Don't and- say that like that, man. <laughs> I was trying to impress upon you that you matter too, my man. So oh, well. it's not lowly. It is a togetherness piece that I think we have to breed into every school community that this is a together entity this is a together endeavor um and so yeah i'll leave you with that sorry well well, no that's well said and i I want everybody to continue to buy into that and believe in that and know that when we take care of each other we're taking care of ourselves and we're making everything better and i think that that mindset is is what's gonna keep public schools specifically um as strong as they are right now and getting better and uh and I, i think that that these employees here at style with you are, are sure that you're very concerned about taking care of them uh, and and how that is going to make you better at your job, knowing that they're good at and, and comfortable at what they're doing. That's so, my hope, man. Thanks for sharing. No problem. Thank you very much. <laughs>